Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hoboken Grace Podcast. We hope today's message inspires you on your walk with God and supports you in a weekly rhythm of connecting with Him. We want to help you in that. So every message from every week is available live and on demand on our app or at HobokenGrace.com. Thank you for choosing to spend time with us, and we'll see you next week. Well, good afternoon. If you haven't been with us, my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Hoboken Grace. And right now we are in the middle of this conversation called An Awkward Family Christmas. And we've been for the last couple of weeks looking at this really powerful reality that as God steps into our story, he says, your family's not the only awkward one. And even when you look at the lineage of Jesus, which Matthew, as God uses Matthew to tell us a Christmas story, he doesn't start on Christmas morning. He actually starts with the family history of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus. When you look at the lineage of Jesus, you see all of these awkward family moments. And oftentimes when we're reading through scripture, we look at the individuals who are involved in the story, but we very seldom think about the family dynamics that surround the story and what those conversations would have been like and what it would have been like to share with the kids what happened with mom and dad. And and we've been walking through a few of those. We looked at week one, uh, the conversation of Joseph with his parents. So, um, my girlfriend's pregnant, They're, it's not mine, There's, there was an angel, and, and all of the awkwardness that would have surrounded that. Last week we talked about another awkward story. I have to imagine a couple generations later, they're sharing that with the kids and around the table. So yeah, grandma used to be a prostitute. Um, uh, the whole world's going to know. God put it in scripture. So there's that. And we get to live with that. And, and, and all of these awkward situations and awkward family conversations. And, and as we come to today, we, we've learned a lot about our relationship that we get to have with God as it pertains to family. We've learned, we've learned a lot about what he wants for us to experience in that, what that means about the weight and the pressure that we put on our family, the reality that they can't provide what only he can in our lives. We've learned a lot about how to be able to navigate, okay, how am I looking at family? Where am I finding family? But today, I want to answer a question that I think a lot of us have as we continue to move through this. I, I want to talk not just about the awkwardness of family. I want to talk about the pain of family. And as you move through the lineage of Jesus, you don't just see awkward moments, you also see awful moments. And for some of you, for the past couple of weeks, you've said, okay, okay, I understand I shouldn't try to find that in them, and I, I understand that I can actually find that in him, and he can be my father, and I can talk about him and engage him the same way that Jesus did with his father. I'm adopted in this family, but what do I do about what happened to me? And how do I engage family knowing that that's there? What do I do about the pain? Those situations that weren't just awkward, they were awful. What do we do with those? And as I said, again, when you come to Jesus' family, there's no, it's not void of that. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of really awful situations as you move through that lineage. And today what I want to do is I want to take you to one of them. You don't have to get very far from the beginning of Matthew to experience it. 
where God, again, is not hiding it. He's actually highlighting it. Let me take you to the beginning of Matthew. It says this. It says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. We could go into it there. There's some awfulness that's a part of that story. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. But here, again, we see a deviation. Whenever you see a deviation, well, God's kind of drawn our attention into a story or into, in this situation, a family. And the deviation is that it includes the siblings, as you move to the genealogy, that only happens three times. Usually it's just father, son, father, son. And as we said, sometimes mom's in there. There's deviations to draw our attention to the story. And I think there's a lot of significance to the fact that it says Judah and his brothers. This is the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. But in addition to that, I think he's drawing our attention again to this family. And this family was more than just awkward. As the story of their family begins, it begins awkward, and it's awkward because Jacob actually favors one of his sons over all of his other kids. And this creates really unhealthy dynamics. Hopefully you understand that that's not a healthy dynamic. But Jacob favors this one child, Joseph, over the rest of them, and as a result, the rest of them begin to become more and more jealous. They begin to become more and more bitter about this, and they despise Joseph to the point where they actually decide they're going to kill him. But let, me take you, let me take you to the story. It's found in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. It says this, here comes the dreamer. This is the brothers talking about Joseph because Joseph had experienced some dreams early on and he interpreted, oh, I'm going to be above you and I, God's actually telling me I'm going to be more significant than you. So they, I mean, they hate Joseph. They say, here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. It's gone to the point where they say, all right, it, this is gonna, we are going to end him. So it's not in a good place. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. At least one of the brothers steps up and is like, we probably shouldn't do this. So Reuben says, wait, 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 uh, let's, not, let's not kill him. And, and he's trying to figure out how he's going to rescue him. He doesn't really know how, but he, he says, let's not take his life. He said, don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. I think he was trying to get them to leave him there, and he was going to come circle back and get him. Either way... They decide, okay, we're not going to kill him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it, so they throw him in this empty well. And then they decided, time to eat. Makes sense. <laughs> so they sit down to eat. As they sat down to, the, to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah, who, by the way, is the individual that's named in the lineage, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? This is an interesting comment for me. Because Judah's interacting with it, and he's like, yeah, but guys, I mean, what do we get out of killing him? Maybe this could be more profitable for us. Let's rethink this. As if it wasn't selfish enough to want to kill him, he's actually being selfish inside of the selfishness of wanting to destroy his brother. He's like, I gotta get a little more out of this. 
He says, what are we going to gain if we do that? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. I mean, what an incredible statement. Let's, I mean, guys, let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. We'll sell him into slavery. I mean, after all, he's family. He's family. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. I mean, come on, guys. He is family. Let's just sell him as a slave. And this is what they do. And again, this is not just an awkward moment. I mean, this is awful. And you look at Joseph's life, and Joseph's life was hard. It, it was all of these ups and downs. He experiences injustice over and over again, not just this situation. He's falsely imprisoned multiple times. It, it's terrible. But God works through Joseph's life, and he, and he continues to use dreams in that. And he actually raises Joseph up to be number two in all of Egypt. And through his wisdom, Joseph ends up saving hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives because of how God informs him about a famine that's coming. And so Joseph is able to help the nation of Egypt prepare for that. He saves his entire country plus others because his brothers actually come down to buy food from him because they've run out of food because of the famine where they are. This is how you see the family reunited. We're going to talk about that story in a little bit here. But his brothers come down to buy grain. There's all these circumstances. They find out who he is. And not only do they come to live with Joseph, but his father actually comes to live with them. The family's reunited. It must have been awkward, though, don't you think? I mean, just again, we, we oftentimes think about the individuals in the story, but think about it from the perspective of the kids. Can you imagine one night you're sitting around the table? So, Dad, how did we end up in Egypt again? What was the story of how we ended up down here? Well, son, may or may not have sold my brother into slavery. That may or may not have happened. Yeah, Dad, I heard some story about you and Uncle Joseph. Yeah, don't listen to that. <laughs> I mean, imagine how awkward this is. But... It looks like things are going well. It looks like the brothers are getting along. The father's there. The family's continuing to grow. But then Jacob dies. And when Jacob dies, the brothers freak out because they're convinced, okay, now that dad's gone, Joseph is going to get us back. And Joseph is phenomenally powerful. He's the most number two in all of Egypt. He can do to them whatever he wants to do. And so they're terrified, which is something really significant to know about forgiveness. If, if you never learn how to offer forgiveness, you'll never be able to accept it. And when you, when you look at these brothers, they had been so remarkably forgiven by Joseph, but they couldn't accept it. In their mind, there, there, there was always, it's got to still be there. It's got, there was always, the, he's, he's got to just be doing this for dad. As soon as dad's gone, then we're going to find out what he really thinks. Then we're going to see the real Joseph. Because if you've never actually learned how to extend it, if it's always still there for you, you think it's always still there for them. 
And for some of you, this is why you struggle to accept God's forgiveness. This is one of the reasons why Jesus says, he says, you, you can't actually be forgiven if you don't forgive. It's not that forgiveness will be withheld. He's saying you're never going to actually accept that I've forgiven you if you don't know how to forgive. You'll never accept it. You'll always think that I'm holding something against you. This is, this is true of your relationship with others. It's, it's true of your relationship with God. And so the brothers can't believe that, they're, that they would actually be forgiven. So you see their character come out again. L listen to what it says. It said, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is why you, what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of, your God, of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. So dad passes away. The brothers freak out. And they say, oh, oh here's what we're going to do. We're going to do. We're going to send him a message. So uh, Joseph, I don't know if dad had the chance to share this with you before he died. But he, he actually told us to remind you afterwards that he wants you to forgive us. That he wants you to not treat us poorly. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is like a third grader idea. You really think he's going to believe that? You really think he's going to buy into that? But they're desperate. They're terrified. The interesting thing, as you come to the end of this, you see, Joseph wept. Joseph experiences this, and it breaks his heart. Because he realizes that they, one, that they're not as close as he probably thought they were. Because if they still think that about him, they're not as close as he thought. But then in addition, he realizes they've never actually experienced that forgiveness. The whole time. They've thought that he's still holding it against them. And it breaks his heart. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then... Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And so the brothers come and they throw themselves down and say, listen, we're, we're here to pay our debt. We are, we are your slaves. And Joseph in this moment, in just two lines, he shares with us two of the most significant things about forgiveness. Two remarkably powerful aspects of what it means to forgive and what allows us to forgive and what it was that allowed him to be able to move through his life and rather than becoming bitter and weighed down, to actually move through all of these moments of injustice with phenomenal optimism. 
And he continues over and over again. When life, it seems like it's just shoving him down, he continues to rise. He continues to demonstrate incredible character. He continues to attack life. It's it's incredible to watch. And in this moment, he shows you, no, this is what allowed me to do this. This is what allowed me to be able to forgive in a way that you guys can't even comprehend, in a way that clearly you haven't accepted. In just two lines. The the first one is the the second thing that he says, which is this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And this is so significant because the foundation for forgiveness is an understanding and and is a, a fundamental belief that God can redeem that which is broken. It's that God can take something that was intended for harm and make something good out of it. To redeem, and oftentimes here at Hope and Grace, we don't like to use like church words that you wouldn't use other places, but redeem is a word you need to know as you're reading through scripture because it talks about it all the time, all the time. It's talked about how God buys something back, something that's worthless, something that's meant for destruction, something that is going to be destroyed. He buys it back and makes it valuable, makes it good. And Joseph fundamentally believed that God could redeem and that God would redeem. I don't think he just believed this after the fact. I think he believed it through the whole thing. It's why he lives his life the way that he does. He expects it to happen. He expects God to redeem. He's waiting for, he's looking for how God's going to redeem. And this is critical to forgiveness because if you don't believe that God can redeem, but when when God teaches us about sin, he says this about sin. Sin robs the other person of life. When you sin against someone else, you actually rob the other person of life and you owe a debt. You owe a debt because you have taken life from them. It has brought death into their life. And if you've been sinned against, you know, you've experienced this. Once you've been betrayed, it changes the way you can trust for the rest of your life. And you can work and work and work against it, but it will never be the same. It's gone. It's been taken from you. When we sin against one another, we take life from one another and we owe a debt. You owe the other person for what has happened. And God steps into our life and he says, he says listen, I, I, want, I want for you to know that I'm gonna make that right. I'm gonna make that right. And he says, vengeance is mine. He says this in Deuteronomy, he also says it in Romans. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You don't repay evil for evil. He says, in other words, you don't try to make them pay for what they've done. You trust me with that debt. Now, listen to me. If you don't believe that God can redeem, you're never gonna trust God with that debt. Why? Because you don't just want the debt to be paid for. You want them to die the way you died. You want them to experience death the way you experience death. You want them to know that bad, that evil. But when you, when you trust, when you know that no, God brings, God can redeem, he can bring good out of the worst of things. 
I don't look at it and say, okay, I want you to experience good even though I'm experiencing bad. I look at it and say, no, God's going to make this good too. God's going to make this good too. He's going to use this for good too. And so I can want good for you as well. But you have to... There's this foundation of understanding that God can redeem. And as, as we walk through this... I don't want this to just be theoretical. And so, as, as we sit here, all of us have experienced in our family history and in our past, hurt. And so, I don't want for you to just move through today thinking about this as an idea. I actually want for you to bring that back. I want you to identify that hurt. And one of the first questions you have to ask about that hurt is, do I believe that God can bring good out of that? If you want to experience the freedom that Joseph experienced through his story, if you want to be able to over and over again practice forgiveness, it ha- it's built on that. I believe God can bring good out of this. Now, let me be really clear about this because I don't want you to mistake this, and sometimes I think people misteach this. What happened to you in your life was not God's will. Let me be very, let, let me be very clear about this. One of the things that Jesus teaches when he teaches us to pray is for us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does he say that we should pray for that? because God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. It was not God's will that you would be sinned against. It is never God's will that someone would sin. Now, can God redeem that? And in his power and in his wisdom, can he use that in this incredible story that he's telling of redemption, this incredible story that he's telling of rescue, this incredible family that he's bringing together? Absolutely he can and he will. But don't get that mistaken. But forgiveness is it's really built on, I, I believe that he can and he will. And when you believe that about God, it allows you to step into what I believe is the first phase of forgiveness. I, I believe scripture teaches is the first phase of forgiveness. And this is the forgiveness. Sometimes you're reading through scripture and it's... It, God's saying, you need to forgive everyone. And you think, man, that's re- like, I need to forgive everyone. Like, I just let go of what they did to me, and everything's the same as it always was. I think it's much more complicated than that. But this first phase of forgiveness, I think, is what God's talking about when he says, I want for you to extend forgiveness to everyone. This first phase of forgiveness, we talked about the debt, that when, when you sin against someone, that now you owe a debt. The first phase of forgiveness is to give God that debt. It's to transfer the debt. I talk about in terms of the release of forgiveness. You need to release that debt to God. You no longer owe me. Yes, there was a debt. You owed me because of what you took from me. But you no longer owe me. You now owe him. That's the release of forgiveness. And what I love about, again, about Joseph's story is that as he's talking to his brothers, he so perfectly captures this. Now, this isn't something he does in this moment. This is something he's been doing his whole life. 
over and over and over again. He's been releasing that debt to God, releasing that debt to God, and all these different situations. It's what allows him to be free. It's what allows him to, to never become bitter and angry. He's releasing that debt. Listen to how it plays out with his, with his brothers, because his brothers come to him and say, listen, we're your slaves. And listen to the first thing that Joseph says back to him. He says, his brothers came, to, came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. We're here to pay the debt. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? They said, we're here to pay, pay our debt. And he says, no, wait, 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 you don't owe me. You gotta take that up with him. Again, this is what God's talking about. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Don't repay evil for evil. You give me that debt. You give me what's owed. And God literally steps in and says, I'm, I will be your debt collector. I will be the one who executes justice. You're not a very good debt collector. You, you're, you give that to me. Now, I don't, I don't know if you have experience with debt collectors. Show of hands. No, I'm kidding, don't. That's, <laughs> that's embarrassing. And, I'm sure most of you haven't because you're so responsible, but I have, so I'll share it with you so that you can know what it's like. Uh, I remember one time in particular, it was really frustrating because there was this hospital bill, it was, it was right after Kale was born, so there was tons of hospital bills. One of the hospital bills didn't get paid, and so I get contacted by this debt collector, so I call the hospital. I called the hospital and said, hey, you know, apparently I owe this debt, I'd like to be able to pay it, how do I pay it? And they said, well, you can't pay us. So what do you mean, I can't pay you? Like, oh no, we sold that debt. We don't, we don't own that debt anymore. You can't pay us, you have to pay them. I said, I don't wanna pay them, I wanna pay you. They said, no, you, you can't pay that debt here. We don't have it anymore. That is exactly what Joseph said to his brothers. They came and said, we're here to pay our debt, we are your slaves. And he said, you can't pay it here. I don't have it anymore. He does. You have to pay it there. That's the first phase of forgiveness. And Joseph didn't just talk this way, he lived this way. That's why he was free. He didn't carry it. Do you, do you know why companies sell their debt to debt collectors? It's because they know that if they spend all their time chasing down those debts, they'll never actually accomplish their mission. It will weigh them down and that is exactly what's happening to some of you. You are not accomplishing what you were created to accomplish because you are weighed down by a debt you can't collect. And you have to let it go. You have to give it to him.
to say, okay, this is between them and you now, not between me and them. To the extent that even if they were to come and say, I'm ready to pay my debt, you would say, I don't have it anymore. I don't have it anymore. This is, this is also why, this is really important. This is, this is also why when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, there's no way to the, to the Father except for me. In that moment, he's not being arrogant. He's just pointing out a reality. Listen, you owe an unbelievable debt an unbelievable debt. And there is no one else who can take that from you. There's no one else who can pay that for you. There's only one. And he goes to that cross and he says to us, bring me your debt. Bring me all of it. And I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. The amazing thing about Joseph is that Joseph was actually looking forward to what God was going to do to make forgiveness possible. Because God doesn't say, listen, give me your debt, and then I'm going to, make, I'm going to forgive it. Like, I'm just going to put, put, put it under the rug. No, no. God says, I'm going to forgive it. Like, I'm going to pay for it. It's actually going to be paid for. Joseph was looking forward to what God was going to do to make forgiveness possible. We know what God did to make forgiveness possible. We know that the debt was paid. Accepting forgiveness is not, it's not a moment-by-moment -moment thing. It's not a situation-by-situation situ situation thing. It's when you accept the price that Jesus paid for everything that has been done to you and everything that you have done to others. You accept. It's paid. That's what makes forgiveness possible. It's paid. And Joseph said, okay, God, that's, that's for you. That's between you and them now. And maybe they'll choose to pay it themselves. Maybe they'll accept the payment that Jesus made on their behalf. That's up to them. That's up to them. But I trust you to be my debt collector. And now we know that it has been paid for. And through Jesus, we saw how it was paid for. This is the first phase of forgiveness. And to be honest with you, I don't, I don't want to just move past this. Because I want, as I said, I want for us to practice this. And so for some of you right now, you need to go and you need to give God that debt. And some of you I know are here and you're saying, I've done that before. I've given God that debt before. But... but but here's the thing, this is not a one-time deal. It's amazing how we love to take that debt back, isn't it? I mean, we love to take that debt back. And so over and over again, when we have to come, when we find that debt in our hands again, we have to come and say, nope, this is, this is yours. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. And I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I just want to encourage you right where you are. Take the debt that's owed.
and give it to him. He's inviting you to give it to him. Will you pray with me? Dad, you did not create us. You did not create us to carry the debt. And so, Father, today we come and we give that to you. We trust you. We know, we know that you are a God who redeems, that can bring beauty out of brokenness, that can bring life out of what looks like death. And so we give it to you and we trust you to be our debt collector, to be the one who executes justice on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. It begins with release. But that's not the end of the journey of forgiveness. From that point on, there's also the process of reconciliation, which I think is the second phase of forgiveness. Now, reconciliation is interesting because reconciliation is based not just on yourself, but it's also based on the other person. Reconciliation is based on repentance. And the extent of reconciliation is connected to repentance. Now, repentance is not that someone feels sorry for something. We totally misunderstand this word, but this is another one of those crucial words for you to understand as you engage scripture. Because repentance literally means I'm moving one direction and I turn around and move the other direction. It's a, it's a 180 complete change in direction. And one of the things that God says is that if you're going to If you're going to experience reconciliation with him, if you're going to have a relationship with him, you have to repent. In other words, you have to stop hiding and running from him, and you have to turn back to him to accept what Jesus did for you to be forgiven. And God says, if you don't, if you don't repent, if you, don't, if you decide, no, I'm going to keep hiding, I'm going to keep running, I don't need you, God, then you can pay the debt yourself. He's not going to force that on you. But the relationship is made possible by repentance. And I love this about Joseph's story as well, because again, you see this perfectly played out. When Joseph's brothers first come to buy grain from him, Joseph knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And he doesn't actually reveal himself to them until he sees something. It's, it's remarkable. He puts them through all of these little tests, and he's trying to figure out, okay, who are these guys? And are they, are they the same as they used to be? And ultimately, he has them bring his younger brother, their youngest brother, to him. When they bring the, the youngest brother to him, he actually arrests him, puts him in prison, and says, he's staying here. He's now my slave. You guys can leave. Judah speaks up. Remember, Judah's the one who sold him into slavery. And he has this long conversation, but I want for you to hear the end of it. He says this about himself. He says, now then, Judah talking, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. There's all this back and forth, back and forth. And Judah steps up and says, wait, 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 wait. Keep me as a slave. Send him back. The one who sold his brother into slavery is now the one willing to become a, a slave to free his brother. That's the moment. 
Joseph tells them who he is. And you see him again practicing the second aspect. He sees that repentance. He sees, okay, wait, wait, wait. They're not, they're not who they were before. And immediately he opens the door for relationship. The second aspect is reconciliation. But that, it's connected to repentance. And for some of you, you're here and you've been hurt. For others of you, you're here and you've hurt and you want reconciliation, but you haven't repented. You haven't actually changed. Still treat them the same way. You're still just as hurtful. There's not going to be true reconciliation until there's repentance. This is, a, this is a principle of life. It just works this way. You can try to fight against it all you want. You, it will not work. And so he sees them beginning to change direction. Now, is this Joseph saying, you know what? My brothers are perfect now. No. When we talk about repentance, is this like, oh, I got to wait until they get all of their life in order and then we can get, no. I mean, he sees one change, a little bit of change in direction and immediately he begins to pursue this. This this should not be an out for us. And and sometimes when I teach this, I worry that people will use this as an out. Like, I don't know if they've repented. I don't don't, don't think I can pursue reconciliation. Sometimes we use this as an out to not even release them. The reality is, is that you're still holding it against them. You're just using this as an excuse not to release it and definitely not to reconcile. And scriptures teach us that love covers a multitude of sins. We should be quick to do this. We we should look to do this. We should look for opportunities to do this. Now understand that if that person continues, and there are situations where that person is just continuing in that action and you realize, okay, there's just not gonna be intimacy here. I've released it, I'm not holding anything against them, I want good for them, I'll do what I can to love them, but we're gonna be acquaintances, we're not gonna be close. Is that what I want? No, it's not what I want. What I want is for there to be reconciliation. But it's connected to repentance. And we see that Joseph's brothers are still messed up. I mean, look at what they do after their dad dies. But Joseph is quick to and looking to and for there to be that reconciliation. And that's the second aspect of forgiveness. If we're going to engage family well, we all know we have to know how to forgive. We have to practice forgiveness. We know that. But for some of us, we've misunderstood forgiveness. We thought, well, I've just got to forget about it. I just have to move past it. No, you have to know that it's paid. You have to transfer that. You have to release it. For others of us, we. We've struggled to believe that God could redeem, and so we just don't want to. But if we're going to engage well, if we're going to love well, if we're going to be able to, as we talked about last week, if we're going to be able to bring grace into the lives of those around us, it will be because we understand what forgiveness really is. And just like Joseph, We'll trust how God can redeem. We'll release and we'll pursue that reconciliation.
What's your next step? What's your next step? What an unbelievable story. Oh, that we would live life and experience life the way that Joseph did. Oh, that we would know that freedom to be able to live with that kind of mission and focus, purpose. Because we decided to trust God. And just as we've been forgiven, to forgive. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you don't just teach us this, but that you have demonstrated this for us. Not only as we look at the life of Joseph, but as we, as we look at how you've forgiven us. And Father, I've, I pray that you would continue to remind us of this, continue to teach us this, continue. Continue to help us to practice this so that we truly could demonstrate to our families, to the world around us, the reality of your forgiveness. That they might not, that they might not only know our love, but they would, they would know yours. In Jesus' name, amen.